Welcome to Proof of Decentralization. I am Chris Bleck, and when we do this podcast, it's always interesting because the whole idea is to prove decentralization. Usually it's of a specific uh, project, DeFi project, and in the past we've done ThorChain, we've done Solana, uh, ZK Sync, and some others. Uh, Today, it's a little bit different because I really want to focus on DAOs and are DAOs decentralized? That's the big question. And obviously, once you start to dig into that, you start to realize, hmm, all DAOs might not be created equal. And it's time for us to to sort of dig into that and be honest as a community about it and to really um, not be afraid to ask the tough questions. And that's what we do on this podcast as much as we can. And today, I'm really glad to have members of a DAO on here with me. DXDAO um, is a DAO. Their website promotes that they decentralize DeFi. We're going to get into what that means, uh, whether they actually do it. Uh, I want to dive right into it. So I'm happy to join uh, or to be joined by John, Chris, and uh, Augusto. Did I say it right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Augusto uh, of DXDAO. Um, hey, guys, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks for having uh, us. So I understand that um, John is like the project coordinator of DXDAO. Is that right, John? Is that yeah, on the, tech, on the technical side, I'm kind of like coordinating the development efforts. Yeah. So Okay. And Augusto is the technical lead? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Technical lead, researcher, mad scientist, okay. someone call me. Yes. Great. And then Chris is the governance expert, facilitator, the politician. Yeah, maybe we don't like the uh, the titles as much there, but those are kind of our roles. Yeah. Because I was, yeah, I was about, about to ask that. It feels weird to, when you're talking about DAOs, it's always weird to label people with specific roles. And actually, when that starts to happen, you start to wonder, is this really a decentralized thing if there's these guys that are kind of leading it? But we'll get into that. Um, but first... Like, um, maybe John, can you just give me the elevator pitch on on what DXDAO is and like what sort of qualifies you guys to have this conversation? Sure. Do you want a little background on, on DXDAO or should I just jump right in? I want like the like short version. Yeah, the know, short version. Yeah. Um, just about I'll, like generally what the elevator pitch is kind of. Sure, sure. I'll give a little bit of history too and then go into the elevator pitch, but it, it was launched in 2019 by a couple of other projects, Gnosis and DAPStack. And so they basically seeded uh, a number of addresses like from just kind of like the crypto community with voting power and it's non-transferable voting power. We call it reputation. Um, so there are about 400 addresses that kind of got this reputation essentially through a stake drop in mid 2019. Those projects stepped back right away. They just wanted to launch this experiment. Initially, uh, it was pretty quiet. Not much was happening, but there was a handful of, of folks that thought it was a cool idea and started doing work and kind of like organically formed from the community. That led to a fundraiser being launched in early 2020, along with a couple of front ends for some um, DeFi protocols. One is Omen, which is a prediction market platform. And then the other one was Mesa, which is a front end to the Gnosis protocol 
Dex, like the the first version of that. It's been succeeded by CowSwap, if if you're familiar. But um, the the main goal of TXDAO is to build T5 products. And I think what makes TXDAO interesting is the focus on the decentralization part, taking that very seriously and trying to like advance like kind of the state of the art in terms of of how we do that, both in terms of like the governance and the processes, the distribution of the voting power, and also in like technically how the uh, products are actually hosted, developed, deployed, all of that we are very mindful of decentralization. And I think the other important thing to, and maybe we could talk about this, when you look at the word DAO, right? The, the letter A, people, I honestly think a lot of people aren't even sure what it means or think it means automation, but like autonomy means like sovereignty, right? Like the, the ability to have self-determination. And so decentralization and autonomy are very related, right? Because in order to have autonomy, you need to be resilient. You need to be able to, um, you know, like kind of be censorship resistance, right? Like, so Bitcoin, Ethereum kind of have achieved that, right? To a degree. And, and I think for DAOs, that's sort of the long-term goal is to, you know, you're never going to get to the decentralization or autonomy level of like the base layer, I don't, I don't think. But we should be trying to get as close to that mm-hmm. as possible with the organization level. And I think it, it is very important to be honest about where we are because it's like very early. We're just trying to figure this stuff out. And if we can't have an honest conversation about kind of what the state is and where the shortcomings and the the areas that we're weak at right now are like we're not going to improve right so we need to be honest about that and i think dxdao has is is like you know got a long way to go how i like to describe it is what makes i think dxdao interesting is how earnestly the community takes like the this idea like we're really trying to do it i think and and i think you'll see on this call that we're we're honest about where we're at with it as okay. well well, yeah, I want to get deep into that. Um, just one question um, and um, a quick answer. We don't need a whole ton of detail right now, but did DXDAO launch as a DAO? Yes. So, I mean... It's a like, trick question. Yeah, I mean, so, like, <laughs> it, it's a hard... Like, the the way it, it worked is Gnosis, which is a project, you know, they were basically a company at the time, they're yeah. trying to become a DAO now. DAO Stack, same thing. They were both projects that had raised funds in like 2017. DAO Stack was a, a DAO platform, right? So um, the first thing that they did was to find a way to give out this initial uh, reputation. So there were okay. a few ways you could earn it. Like um, about half I just don't of, want to get too yeah. deep into the history right now, but yeah, I was yeah. just wondering if it, and we, we'll get into it later, because what I was getting sure. to is really kind of what sparked the call, um, which unless you've been living under a rock, you know, it's November, 2021 and it's the month of, uh, constitution Dow and, uh, constitution Dow in case you haven't been following the story is a thing that just sprung up in the last few days. It's a group of, of people, um, who formed what they're calling a Dow to purchase a copy, an original copy of the constitution that is being auctioned off by Sotheby's. And the starting bid, I think, was like $25 million or something like that. So um, this group got together and they formed what they're calling a DAO to raise funds to purchase it at auction. Now, the auction was last night. They didn't win it. 
it's a whole separate story about what's going to happen. But a lot of people, I think probably, if not hundreds, then maybe uh, over a thousand people, I don't know how many people, um, put money towards this project, donated money into the DAO to um, have those funds used as um, part of the 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 treasury to, to purchase the constitution at auction. And the constitution, by the way, for you who are not Americans, is the founding document of the United States of America. Um, so this is an old document, original printed on, I don't even know what they printed on back then. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so anyway, they it didn't work out. But, you know, it the whole thing kind of brought into question, what is a DAO? And from my perspective, and I want to get your guys' take on this too, um, the term DAO has been watered down, abused, um, turned into something else other than the original definition, which is a decentralized autonomous organization, D-A-O. And you were just, John, you were just starting to get into um, that before about those are the key elements of what defines a DAO. So, um, you know, Chris, do you think um, that Constitution DAO, the way that it was, before we even get into, I mean, if you want, you can talk about, but is it a DAO? Do you consider that to be a DAO in today's world? I think they are doing something very, very different than what DxDAO is trying to do, right? And I think DxDAO is trying to push the limits of decentralized decentralization. Is it a DAO? Like, I mean, probably not. It's a digital organization. It's people raising things online. Uh, I think Is it's digital. Oh, D- DAO stands for decentralized autonomous organization. Right. So, Constitution DAO, and it, I'm asking this po- pointedly because it will matter in this conversation. I think, you know, Constitution DAO, um, the way that it worked, works. It still exists. Um, is all of the funds that were donated by the hundreds or over a thousand people went straight into a multi-sig that were con- that was controlled, it is controlled by 13 people. So it ended up with like 40-something million dollars donated. All those funds went into this multi-sig controlled by 13 people. And, you know, they're known, I think they're mostly known entities within the space. <clears throat> I don't think there were any anonymous people, but I'm not sure. But those 13 people controlled all the funds. And all the funds... Um, once they were donated, were completely out of the control of the donors, right? So, um, does that disqualify it from being called decentralized and autonomous? Um, that's what I'm trying to get at. And I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it, I, I mean, just want to clarify. It, that's the it question. It does, but I think we can acknowledge that the phrase DAO has kind of already reached escape velocity in terms of like what it means in the world. And it's really, really hard to put memes back into the bottle. And so, yes, I don't think they're doing anything that's going to really push the push forward the space in terms of decentralization or building really cool tech. But they have really captured the imagination of a lot of people who have never heard of DAOs and see that like, wow, this is something that is powerful, could lead to other things. So it's more of, I think, like a, a gateway drug into this world than it is actually like the, the kind of things that are pushing things forward. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Augusto, what do you think? Technical lead. <clears throat> yeah, it is a DAO. Definitely a DAO. The thing is that 
how decentralized it is, right? Because this is, if you want to put it in a way, like 13 people decentralized, right? You have 13 identities, 13 individuals that are spread everywhere in the world. So they are decentralized, right? And they are autonomous because they have all, the, all their fancy smart contracts, right? In fact, a multi-signature wallet is a DAO, right? But it depends how decentralized it is. Now, now you can measure it is a good DAO or a bad DAO. A good DAO is a DAO that is heavily decentralized and more decentralized and more activities. That is a good DAO. A bad DAO is a DAO that is heavily decentralized. That it means that it has that they have a lot of power in hands of very few individuals and they are taking maybe not very good actions in and on what they are representing. So I think, in fact, Constitution DAO is a, if you put it away, a good DAO because they say, we want to do this and we are going to do it. I mean, they tried, they, they didn't succeed in the end, but they got together for a goal, not very decentralized, like heavily decentralized, but... Well, this is a a very tough learning curve about how how we are going to improve about all the DAOs. So to be the first like famous experiment, I think it did pretty well. Okay, you know it's interesting to hear you guys take on this because the past few days, um, you know, when I first heard about that project, I I was excited. I thought this is a cool idea. Like let's see this thing come together. <clears throat> Everybody puts their money into it. We can we can use the power of blockchain to create an organization that is leaderless, that is defined by the contributions that are put into it. Um, the funds, the treasury, never leaves the control of the community. Uh, the community has to vote in order to to move the funds, to spend the funds, to you know. And my understanding of DAOs, at least the original intent, was that they were supposed to use the power of open blockchain to create that type of organization where you don't need to rely on a couple people to be honest, to be, to have integrity, to have skill, uh, to secure their keys, you know, and what I saw with constitution now, and it's not just them, I'm just picking them out because they got the most publicity. There's been other, you know, what I call fake DAOs over the past uh, <clears throat> year, I would say. Uh, where that's not the case, you know, and I guess the question, you know, John, like what, what's the difference between what Constitution Dow did and a, a Kickstarter or an ICO even where, you know, they basically said, donate money, it'll go into our wallet, we will give you tokens. The tokens don't actually represent ownership of anything. Uh, this is just the exchange that we're making. Um, so like beyond, you know, except for the hype and everything else, like what's the difference? Like how is this a DAO and not an ICO? Right. And how do the 13 people know each other, right? So like 13 is maybe better than like a five-person multi-sig, right? So you got to give them some credit for, for that. But I mean, 13 people can get together and form a company, right? I like... You know, Wells Fargo, I think, is often lambasted by uh, Bankless and, and Bankless DAO. But sometimes I, I think in my head, like, you know, the, the board of Wells Fargo has 11 people on it, right? And some of these multi-sigs in DeFi don't have that that many, right? So Yeah, but the I, board of, of, of a bank can't, can't disappear with all the money 
overnight. Well, and I think that's sort of what is like enabling some of this is a lot of these multi-sigs are known people. But I think like to your point, like how different is that than just having a company with those known people, right? Um, And then like all those people that bought into the Constitution DAO, like what say do they have in governance, right? And don't get me wrong, like these guys are saying it's a super cool project, like capturing the imagination like that. But yeah, I think we got to be honest, it's it's not a DAO, right? Like, okay, it's, it's not decentralized. So that's, that's, that's my point too, is that it is a great project, it's a great idea. And I, I hate, it's one of those situations where I think that everybody has great intentions and it's exciting. But at the same time, it, it's my belief that it's damaging to to the idea of DAOs to call and you guys will have a chance to come back at me on this because I know you don't agree fully, but I think that it's damaging to say that this is a DAO. This is the epitome of a DAO right here. 13 people control the funds. There's thousands of people that put them in. They have the funds in on top of that. And let me just run down how constitution DAO is intended to work. 13 people control the funds, the funds, um, for the auction were sent into a centralized exchange. So they leave the multi-sig, they're off-chain. You can no longer see the funds. They're on the exchange, uh, ready to be converted to dollars to pay for the auction, the constitution you know, auction for $40 million or whatever. Um, if they had won the constitution, the constitution would not have been owned by the DAO because there's no legal way for them to do that. It would have been owned by what in the U.S. is called an LLC, a limited liability uh, company. The LLC is owned 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 legally by two people, uh, who I I believe that's two of the multi sig signers. I'm not sure if they were both multi sig signers. The LLC was owned by two people. It exists already. The LLC. Um, those two people would have been the legal owners of this 40 plus million constitution, <laughs> the copy of the constitution, right? That would have had the legal ownership. So all of a sudden you've got thousands of people out there with this governance token that don't have any legal claim to this asset. They can make votes. They can say stuff in forums. They can go on Twitter and say what they think, but they have no legal authority to do anything. They can, it says even on their FAQ, like, we'll take your advice. Uh, that's about it. You know, it's like, we, we say we will. So like Augusto, like how does that scenario qualify as a DAO? How is that decentralized? How is that autonomous? It's definitely an organization. Okay. So they got the O, but how do they have the D and the A? Well, the people token has been distributed, right? And it's being used. So let's put a scenario that the constitution was bought, right? And it's owned by this LLC. Then the people, I mean, the okay, the the, the person who invested, right, in, in, in constitution, they are going to be making decisions. And then, yes, again, it's a bad DAO, but it's a DAO. It's a bad, funny DAO that uh, everything that... Everything that every action that you're going to be body or chain, you end up trusting in this very in a centralized individual or company. But again, it is a DAO. It's very bad implemented technically on, on many aspects, but it is a DAO in the end. That is what uh, that is what I mean because 
the token has been distributed and, and it's there on chain and they can make decisions. In fact, they can decide on whatever they want. Maybe the people tokens end up, I know, being used for something else and they decide to do something else. That would be super, that, that would be super interesting. What happens if now the people token goes distributed and they decide to use the funds for something else and they buy, I but, don't know, something. Augusto, like if if the LLC is owned by two people and they control the physical asset and thousands of people have the governance token, and let's say the thousands of people make a vote to move the asset from one location to another, okay, or from one state to another or whatever, let's say the two people that own the LLC don't agree and they say no, then what? How is that autonomous? Like that's not autonomous. That is that is a centralized process. Chris, that Chris, is. I, I think yes. by definition, it's impossible to have an autonomous action in the legal world. So anytime you con- construct something that's connecting the blockchain world to the legal world, you're going to have a centralization point, and that's a huge kind of problem. I think for blockchain in general, in terms of scaling, right? How do you kind of get into the real world if you always have that centralization point? Um, yeah, and I, I think like, that's it. what we don't do, like with Deke's DAO. That's what we realize mm-hmm. is like, we can't enter and live in that world. We can only be autonomous in the world that's on Ethereum. And now we're on a couple other chains. So does that, but like, that's only does, where our sovereignty can exist. Does that keep you guys in that sense? Does that limit you from entering that world specifically? Like, does that... Because you want to remain decentralized and autonomous, you don't venture into areas that you cannot have those yeah. properties. I mean, I think the, the best example of this is what we do with our products, right? We don't host on .coms or .ios. We host because we have the ENS domain names. We have dxdao.eth. We have swapper.eth. We have omen.eth. These, are the, uh, these assets are actually owned by the DAO itself and only through governance proposals do we change those websites? Um, and so we can't host on a .com and have the reliability on that. We have to go for this decentralized option, but we think long-term that will kind of build a stronger community, build stronger technology um, that you know really maintains the DAO sovereignty rather than having to rely on an, an you know, individual to, to ensure uh, your product is up. Okay, yeah, because one of the common um, um, responses I get when I push back on this, well, there's a few. Okay, one of them is, well, how how else would you do it? How else would you create a organization that can use Ethereum to purchase a physical asset? And by the way, that's not just limited to this either. I get that all the time. You know, with admin keys, with multi-sigs being used as, as DeFi admin keys, with with all sorts of, of centralization points around DeFi, around Ethereum, and just crypto in general, it's the most common thing that people say. And it's a huge fallacy to use that as an argument against somebody who raises a valid question, a valid concern about the centralization of what's happening. Not everything should be done with this technology. Okay. And just because you can find some hacky way to do it doesn't mean that there's, that it's um, the proper use of the tech, that there is a way to decentralize it. You know, so in this particular case, um, and by the way, the other pushback I get a lot is, oh, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. 
right? It's like, don't like, don't look for perfection and ignore something that's satisfied. That's sort of okay. You know? Um, so to your point, Chris, uh, in this particular case, there is probably no legal way that a DAO, a perfect DAO, right? Or not perfect, but an actually decentralized, actually autonomous DAO. And to Augusto's point, yeah, a 13-person multisig is more decentralized than a two-person multisig, okay? But not as decentralized as a 1,000-person fully um, autonomous DAO, that has full voting rights to every user based on their contribution. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the whole idea that we should just be okay with that because it's the best we can do is dangerous. And the reason it's dangerous is here's another example of what could have happened with this thing. Two-person LLC owns the Constitution. Okay, Five years go by, we're still in the same boat. I don't know, maybe it would have changed, but let's just say let's say one year, okay? We're still in the same boat. One of the one of the two people passes away, tragically. Not that I'm wishing that, just throwing I'm adversarially thinking right now. Okay, one of them passes away. Their family inherits their half of the LLC. Their family's like, what's a blockchain? This sucks. We're gonna sell this thing. It's worth forty million dollars. They get embroiled in a huge lawsuit with the other LLC owner. All the token holders are sitting there staring at their screen like, what's happening? We have no control right now. It's going on. It's on CNN, okay? It's a court raging battle. They end up selling it and splitting the money. Um, the family of the deceased. Yeah, it's like, guys, this is the real world, right? So it's like, this is stuff that could happen. And it's right there. It's not like we have to think outrageously, like go out on huge limbs to, to picture this stuff happening. This can happen tomorrow, right? It's like it's stuff that so like John, like am I am I crazy to go down these roads and think like that? Like how to me a DAO is supposed to prevent all this kind of stuff from even being an issue. But when you start to go down these roads, it's like, what are we doing? Like, what's the point? Why are we even engaging in this exercise if it's all just a th theatrics? Yeah, and I think another thing we haven't like clearly pointed out, right? It's like where you said they put the funds in an exchange, like from they sent it FTX. from the multi-sig to FTX. So you talk about autonomy, right? So FTX has control of these funds and you know, whatever legal jurisdictions they have to like play rules by could come in and, and potentially take them as well, right? So like that's not very autonomous either. Right. And yeah, I mean I like I don't think we should go around telling people like, hey, you're not a DAO. We're not going to win any popularity contests that way, right? And like, I think what Constitution DAO is awesome, right? And they probably just didn't have like, what else were they going to do, right? And I think it's, if you're going to criticize something, it's important to like, think about like, how do you actually like fix it or like make the improvement? And, um, you know, I think Constitution, I was just trying to buy this Constitution. They did what they had to do. But I think when you look at the DAO part, it's like important to think about like, well, yeah, how can we do better than that, right? Like, how can we do this stuff um, more on chain, give like everybody who's participating a, a voice? And, and that's what like the DAO part is really all about. So, yeah, we but need what to if there is no way? What if there is no way to do this um, in a way that would satisfy decentralization? Like, what if in today's world, just I'll give it to you in a minute, Chris, but um, 
what if the only way to do this is a radical rethinking of traditional law? Okay. Those are the roads that we should probably be going down first before we jump into just theatrically using hype and nonsense to create this fantasy thing. Because here's the problem. There's a bunch of problems, but one of them is I would wager, and I know for a fact that there's some, uh, a lot of people that put money into Constitution Dow did not understand that they were not actually going to have fractional ownership of the Constitution. They didn't understand that they were donating. They didn't understand the LLC. They didn't understand the multi-sig. And yeah, it's there in the FAQs if you want to dig in. But if anything had gone wrong with this thing, if anything had gone sideways with the multi-sig or the LLC, who do you think they would have called? There's no customer service, right? They would have called regulators. They would have called Congress people. They would have like looked for ways to get their money back. And over and over, we see this in DeFi and in crypto where people take shortcuts. Users don't understand fully what's happening. And uh, then all of a sudden they get screwed. And who do they call? They call mommy government, daddy government. And Constitution Dow is ripe using all these government tools to, to do this. They were ripe for regulators to step in and say, hey, that $40 million on FTX needs to get confiscated. Hey, this asset held by an LLC um, can't be transferred anymore. You know, or There's so many ways it could have ha- gone sideways. That's not what DAOs are all about to me. So, like, Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think in a perfect world, you know, I think we identified the problem that it's hard to get DAOs to have ownership or connection to that legal world. That's a problem now. It was a problem that existed three weeks ago, but I think we are closer to solving that problem because of things like constitution DAO, right? Because they're like, you're identifying all of these shortcomings. And I hear that list of all those things you're saying. And I'm like, okay, like how could we decentralize that part? How could we decentralize that? And like, I don't think there are any answers right now, but I don't think the only way you get to that decentralization is if you try things, people criticize them for not being decentralized, and then you figure out how to build, you know, decentralized solutions. This kind of happened, I think, with DXDAO and and hosting products. Like we literally just wanted to own our product. And like, because of that, you kind of have to come up with a hacky way. So I think it is important to have these like aspirational um, moves precisely because they push the ball forward and will get criticized and, you know, things will get better. I think the, I guess the to, to your point though, the downside is, and I think you see that saw this, like, I mean, because this is crypto in, in general, right? This is, is a theme that kind of runs through lots of these things, right? In 2017, I think you could argue that the, the, uh, growth of scams and the kind of projects coming out there really did turn off some people to the space. Um, because it was kind of too far. So I think there is a risk that you do get, you know, you taint the word DAO in a lot of ways with some of these. But um, I'm just I'm just kind of hoping that projects like push things forward uh, into that direction. That The next 10 of these will be scams, right? Because the, the what table has been... <laughs> Are they going to take the, the founding documents? <laughs> we'll see. But I mean, you know, the, the problem, the biggest problem with what Constitution now did is that the exact same playbook could be used by somebody who has ill intent to steal the money. 
at the moment that, and you can see on the blockchain on Etherscan, you can look up the multi-sig address. You can see the moment that 13,000 ETH were transferred from the multi-sig to FTX. At that moment, the funds are gone. They're gone. They're out of the control of the DAO. They're out of the control of the multi-sig. They're out of, you're, they're gone. You can't see them anymore. So in this case, we're lucky. They went to an exchange. People were honest. When they didn't win, they sent it back to the multi-sig. You can see it on Etherscan. In a scam at that moment, everything would look exactly the same as everything that happened, but the funds would be gone and they would never return. And somebody would be flying off to an island somewhere and having a nice retirement. So, Augusto, like, at what, I mean, I understand your point that if it's a 13-person multi-sig, it is decentralized. It's not well decentralized, but it is decentralized. But when you use that argument, you have, to me, no basement. Like, where's the cutoff then? Like, what is not a DAO? In your in your mind, like what is what qualifies as a DAO and what doesn't? Well, a DAO is just if you are a single individual doing whatever you want, then you are not a DAO. If you are two people deciding what you're going to do, and and you are living in Hong Kong and me in Argentina, and we decide what we are going to do in our multi signature, that I think technically applies as a DAO. Then you have the bigger picture of what it. DAO really is in the in a social cultural uh, cultural way, right? On, on on how you see it, how it's being seen by other people. By the technical definition, it is a DAO, right? Then, uh, well, it's not actually a DAO the way that the, the way that we expect it to be, right? And we are surprised, like, well, this is not this is not decentralized. What is happening here? The funds are in central control of one authority now. So. Going going a bit back on what we were on what we were talking, I think this is a great example that shows that the system is not ready, right? There are some things that you cannot do outside the blockchain because on the blockchain the rules are clear and you can enforce a lot of stuff. In the real world, we are not there yet. If you tell me that the constitution is represented by an NFT and we can create a smart contract, we can bid for it, okay, awesome. Let's say we have cryptographically ownership of the constitution, that would have been great, right? Even though, even though if you have that, that is that no that doesn't give you the assurance that in the real world you will be able to do whatever you want with the constitution. Because then you have the state that needs to enforce this cryptographically ownership and that is another step, right? Let's say that we are that we can represent the constitution with an NFT. That I guess that's something that we can start doing it, I don't know, in a year or two, right? But then how do you enforce these rules that we are used to that on the blockchain? Because, okay, we can, we know that something that is going to, that, that we want to execute is going to happen. And we know what is going to be, the outcome, what is going to be. But in the real world, we don't have uh, this rule. We don't have these clear rules. We don't have this blockchain state of rules, right? So we are far away from that. And this is a, this is a proof. There are some things that you cannot do outside the blockchain, as a DAO, or as a anything, uh, even as a single individual, right? Because the system is not there yet. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that part, that the system's not there, the laws are not, are not there. And you when it comes to real-world assets, you have to have laws. You have to have courts. 
you know, you have to account for real life stuff. You have to account for people committing acts of violence. You have to account for all the stuff that doesn't happen on a blockchain. And I think we can get there. I think we're heading for a future where instead of your your home title being on a piece of paper in the town hall, it'll be an NFT on the blockchain. Like the technology is there and there's decentralized identity projects that already are getting like small towns in Switzerland to adopt their ideas and to sort of be incubators for all of this kind of stuff. So I think we're heading there. But in the meantime, it goes back to that question, like, are we letting perfect be the enemy of good? Should we be doing this kind of stuff where we have um, clearly um, centralized operations sort of, to me, hiding behind this term DAO um, just because that's the best we can do, even though it's not any in any way bulletproof to all the problems that could come up in the real world. Um, and to me, the answer is no. The biggest question that, that the biggest concern that I have is, and I understand what you're saying too, Augusto, about um, if it's two people, it's a DAO, technically, right? It's decent. I mean, two plus people. Um, but end users don't understand that. And end users are looking at this as, I'm putting money in, I'm getting a vote. I have some sort of control. Um, they're not going to realize otherwise until it goes sideways. you know. And by then it's going to be too late. So to me, the term DAO needs a stricter definition. Um, so that, that's where you know I look at this as accountability, as transparency, uh, as being very forthright with people about what they're getting into. So like Chris, from that point of view, um, like what's your take on on that? Like, do you feel like people have like do you th- do you think that the a normie sort of just hearing about constitution now thinking this is a cool idea? You know, I could spend a thousand dollars and put it in the constitution, and maybe it'll even go up in value, and I'll make some money. And you know, blah, blah. like, are they being misled, or do you feel like people are sort of on board, like from the governance point of view, that they get it, or are they still kind of confused about the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they get it yet based upon, you know, when I tell people that I work for a DAO, um, no one really gets it. Um, but I, I think that um, you can kind of tell what each of us think is important by based on like, we're not working at Constitution DAO, we're working at Deeks DAO, which is kind of building this decentralized tech stack that can actually do all these things that you're kind of talking about. So I think that's where um, people should spend their time in this space, but there are kind of other places, I think, for, for other people. Um, one point I was just going to make kind of earlier when you were talking about the connection between the physical world and like the blockchain world, because that is such a, you know, uh, a, a, a kind of gap that we have. And it's just kind of reminding people that like the two best examples of a digital blockchain controlling something in the physical world are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Because they have a distributed network of miners and nodes that kind of the network itself powers it, right? There's not actually a single legal entity that could shut down either of those uh, entities because they have such distributed physical infrastructure. So when I think we think about DAOs, this is not just Constitution DAO, this is DX DAO. We really need to think about incentive mechanism for distributed infrastructure because that's what's going to power like the next wave of 
of decentralization when it gets to like the front end, when it gets to like RPC um, relays. So there's a lot of a lot of growth there, I think, specifically on the infrastructure side. Right. Yeah, that that makes sense. You know, there's a lot of arguments that were coming back at me yesterday when I it was interesting because I was sort of saying this kind of stuff about Constitution now. From the Ethereum side, I was getting, you know, you're letting perfect be the enemy of good. You know, we have to experiment. From the Bitcoiner, toxic Bitcoiner side, it was, you're an idiot if you think any DAO is immutable or, you know, because the whole blockchain could be just, you know, messed with. It's going to proof of stake. You guys are stupid. Like, you're just playing in this sandbox. The whole sandbox is broken. It's going to tip over and all the sand's going to going to run out so um yeah it's really interesting to have these conversations you almost have to set these you know it's kind of like debating like the nature of the universe um you know like okay are we meaningless in the universe you know as humans like we're so small we're inconsequential and then you go about the rest of your day like thinking you're actually doing something meaningful you almost have to like separate the conversations and segment your mind Um, because yeah there are a lot of problems with the infrastructure and with you know, websites and, 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 uh, you know, domains and the blockchain itself. Um, but to me, I have to like segment how far out I'm willing to think about something. You know, when I think about DAOs, I'm thinking in the context of, okay, I'm coming in with, with the assumption that Ethereum is an immutable, um, decentralized blockchain. Um, I have to start there or else the whole thing falls apart. But yeah, you're right that when you get to, um, domain names and when you get to uh, where websites are hosted and you like people completely ignore these risks when it comes to not just DAOs, but DeFi, right? Like it's, it's a completely uh, vulnerable system that we're dealing with. Uh, so, um, so, uh, uh, you know, John, um, just uh, what I'm wondering is to me, it seems like with the tech that we have, Constitution DAO could have been built differently. It didn't have to be built the way it was built. It was very hastily thrown together. They used a product called Juicebox, which is basically like a smart contract um, fundraising mechanism, almost like a Kickstarter type of thing where people can just donate and uh, get some tokens. Um, But couldn't this have been built using a platform like Aragon or something like that? still quickly, but in a way that distributed actual ownership of control over the treasury programmatically without needing permission from an owner to every person as they donated, they would have not needed a multi-sig in that case. Isn't that right? Couldn't they have done that? Why wouldn't they have done that? Yeah, so that's definitely possible. There are challenges, right? Like if you wanted to do that on Ethereum mainnet, like the gas costs are so high that I think they were saying with Constitution DAO, I saw that the average contribution or the the median was like $200, right? Like, unfortunately, for a platform like Aragon or DAO stack that uh, DXDAO was launched on, uh, just to pass a proposal, like the minimum cost these days, you're looking at closer to a thousand dollars, right? So that makes it impractical for for them to do that on Ethereum mainnet. Now you could look to some of the side chains, you know, some of the ones that are not as decentralized, 
of a chain and you could find like lower costs and, and you could probably make it practical at, at that scale. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, like I think Constitution DAO is a net positive in that they like got a lot of people to like pay attention at like learn just maybe what the word DAO is, like capture the imagination. Like what I would like to see them kind of try to focus on next is can we convince Sotheby's to accept Ether? Can we convince Sotheby's to do the auction on chain? Can we maybe just replace Sotheby's and just do auctions on chain like ourselves, right? And um, and then I would also like to see them try to find better ways to, to decentralize the governance. But I mean, as you kind of dig down, there are like a lot of uh, uh, challenges around scalability and, and stuff to do it. Like with how many people donated, like tens of thousands, like to at an average size of $200. Like, I, unfortunately, I think our decentralized tech stack is like just not there yet to enable uh, like w- what you would imagine as like a true DAO. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a little bit of a cop out to say it's too expensive, even at a thousand dollars. Like, why not fundraise the thousand dollars and then you know build it properly? Like, because no, to like, me, it's per, just lack yeah. of foresight. Well, per proposal, and then I mean, like, even like if if you wanted all those people to vote, like individual votes are going to cost you like a hundred dollars on on Ethereum for some of these platforms. So all I'm saying is that if if your average donation size is two hundred dollars. Like it becomes impractical to do it at that scale, right? You could do it at a smaller scale, I think, with like larger sums of capital, right? You get a few hundred more wealthy investors to do. And, you know, I mean, I think that's probably where we should be focused, right? Is let Constitution Dow do its thing. Like it's fun, cool, it's limited in scope. Like I think where we should be asking harder questions or maybe like at the core infrastructure, right? Like what, what's powering DeFi? Like this, these are massive sums of money being moved around. Like how are these, uh, you know, infrastructure projects actually being c- controlled and like by these like so-called DAOs, right? Like I think that's where we can start to think like, okay, well, like what can we do better here and, and where can we lay the, the groundwork for better infrastructure for DeFi? But, but yeah, I mean, I honestly think like at, at this point, it's kind of tough to do stuff like at a super scalable level uh, without, you know, with things being as expensive as they are on like some of the more decentralized chains. But um, but we could do it at smaller scales, I think. Augusto? You had something? Yeah, you still needed to send Ether to invest, right? So there is, it is very easy to create a smart contract where you can just send Ether and get a token that can be done like super easy like any smart contract developer can use open source library like open zeppelin and just add i don't know one two lines of code and create a smart contract like that it takes minutes right maybe hours so what what uh the implementation that they did for the token fundraising uh, is is not that strong right and it wouldn't be way better if it would have taken the time uh, that i know in the technical level that it's not hard, it's very easy to do, but then you see it right away that the technical implementation was already weak, right? On how they were going to distribute it. Okay, yeah, it was going to happen, but this could be a design way better, right? So this is something that can happen right now, and then on-chain voting, yeah, that's a, that's another thing, but they weren't going to vote, right? They, you just wanted to distribute a token. So when I saw that they were using shoes box and other stuff, 
man, they could, they could have just bring a smart contract that do all this stuff. The code is already there, but no, it was, it was rush, right? It was rush, and you can see it on the .com domain, the, the website, everything. I mean, it was funny, right? But uh, it, it was rush, technical, technically rush and very weak uh, technical implementation. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely rushed, you know, and um, that's that's a big defense that was used too, is that we didn't have enough time to do this properly. We didn't have enough time to pull it together. Um, but, you know, it didn't matter to the Wall Street Journal. It didn't matter to Forbes. It didn't matter to Fortune. It didn't matter to all the mainstream media that covered this and called this a decentralized autonomous organization of thousands of people who all were going to get fractionalized ownership over this physical asset. They completely misreported it across the board. I think Wall Street Journal actually got it right, but most of the other ones got Even crypto media was getting it wrong. I think um, some of them were reporting that token holders would get fractional ownership. Um, the multi-sig was not mentioned most of the time. They called it, they spelled it out, a decentralized autonomous organization. So, you know, that's where I look and I say, no, it's not okay. It's not okay to do this in this way, you know, where we're, we're fuzz messing up the terms where people don't know what decentralized is anymore. And the main reason I go back to is that the same exact process could be used by a scammer today. Okay. And there's ways that this could have been done that would prohibit that. And if it had been set up on Dow stack, uh, you know, and it took more time. Yeah. Maybe more expense and maybe it's not gas efficient, but it would have kept it, uh, authentic, right? It would have made it, um, it would have used the technology to the max, right? Instead of just 10% of the technology. That's where I get frustrated. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I think I like what you're asking. If, what would be the best way to do this now, given our current limitations? And one of the, like, I think underrated governance tools or process is the veto, right? And like, I think if they could figure out a way to have like an ultimate veto vote in this, that that would be like a really effective way. It can be expensive to have governance, like make all these different decisions. But if you just give them like, a yes or no at the very end, then like that might have been a way to provide some base level of accountability. Um, yeah, I mean, barring the legal real world stuff, right? Like, um, I guess when Ooh. it comes to the movement of the funds, though, like that would have been, you know, and, and yeah. I, I know that's been looked at, um, not to get sidetracked too much, but there was a Uniswap proposal for something called the DeFi Education Fund a few months ago, where $20 million worth of uni was moved from the treasury into the um, into a multi-sig controlled by a few lawyers um, because it's supposed to be this lobbying effort. Uh, and the idea there was that there was a project that was trying to work on um, this mechanism that would uh, allow a governance community to veto a multi-sig transaction. And I'm not totally sure on how it would all work. And I know that that's kind of not worked out, like it, they couldn't get it to work, right? But that idea could make a lot of difference, right? When you're dealing with multi-sig controlled funds and you're dealing with a governance community of thousands of people, 
you have to, you absolutely have to have a, a way for the governance community to control, have some control over those funds. You know, yeah, it's any it's inefficient to have a limitation where thousands of people have to vote to do anything, right? Like to get a quorum and it's hard, it's inefficient. And decentralization is never more efficient, ever. Like centralized things are always more efficient, they're faster, they're cheaper, they're prettier. Decentralization is always harder. It's always uglier. <laughs> it's always just a mess. And you think to yourself, why would anybody do it? You know, and that's where we get into with DeFi and with DAOs and with we we have the technology to do this stuff. But then people say, Well, why would I do that when I could do this? It's faster, it's easier, it's cheaper. But the this that they want to do is a step back, two steps back, three steps back towards centralization. And that's the thing with Ethereum at large, you know, John, I'm kind of curious what you think about this, because I think that the programmable nature of the blockchain has created this type of, and it was predictable because of the way technology has worked over time. Like nobody wants an ugly, messy, decentralized thing. They want something that's pretty and fast and cheap. So the programmable nature of Ethereum allows you to build anything. You can build centralized. You can build decentralized. And even with DAOs now, we're seeing the tech is there. You can do it. You can build a decentralized DAO. You can build a DAO where everybody has control of the funds. But why do that when we can have this nice, pretty thing over here? And I, I just don't think it's ever going to be as decentralized. I think. And I, the next thing I want to get into with you guys is about DX DAO and how you think that you're being kind of almost self-restrained from a lot of stuff because you don't want to sacrifice on decentralization. But do you think that I'm on the right track with just the nature of, of all this and how it's moving? Yeah. I mean, I think getting a lot of people to agree on something like finding consensus is, is harder, right? Like that's why like centralized organizations are, are more effective sometimes than more decentralized ones. But I, I think it's not necessarily true that like decentralization is less efficient than centralization. I think when you have a decentralized system that is operating based on like a, it, like a, a simple set of incentives, you actually often be much more effective than centralized organizations or hierarchical organizations that kind of like kind of fall over themselves with just like kind of how they they do things, right? And I think. There's lots of examples of that in the world. I mean, just thinking of how like money works is probably like the simplest thing, right? Like think of what it's unlocked just having this concept of money. It's like pretty um, incredible. And like, I think, you know, you look at Uniswap, like a DEX, right? That's better than centralized exchanges in my opinion, right? Like it's permissionless. People can list anything. Anybody can go and trade. It's easier. It's, it's like, you know, other than like the transaction costs sometimes being expensive on the Ethereum, it's like in every way better than a centralized exchange, right? And, it, and this operates on very simple, elegant, like rules and incentives. And like, I think it empowers people to be like way better in a decentralized way. So I actually am a big believer in decentralization, but, but yeah, I mean, consensus is hard. <laughs> John. Yeah. Go sorry. ahead, Augusto. Uh, sorry, please. John Ogor. Ogor is a great example, for example, right? 
they announced that they are going to start a DAO using our smart contract, using our technology, right? So that's a very good question, Chris, for a later action set, uh, as, for example, Ogor, who is one of the, the I think they did the first ICO on, on Ethereum, right? And now they are moving to do a DAO and they were looking, okay, uh, we want to uh, we want to start being a DAO, right? Because they got cop with all this DAO idea and they contacted us and we are helping and we are working with them to build a strong technical uh, implementation for their DAO that can be useful, right? That, that their voters will want to use, that they will not be caught by something like a snapshot or something that is going to be a bit more centralized and cheaper. So you have those two examples, right? You have Constitution DAO and you have Ogre DAO. They, they rush and they had a clear goal and they build something weak in the, techn- in the technological and in the technological implementation, right? But in the technical implementation and well, they fail, but it was, I mean, the attention that, that it got, right? So, what what an idea, right? If if you have an idea, how how powerful can it be? And this could only be shown using blockchain. So that's why you need blockchain, right? Because it's going to attract a, a, a lot of people everywhere, and they're going to connect it with the same goal. And then you have something like Augur, who is an established project, who are willing to to take the time and be the strong technical implementation to grow for it out, and, and it's going to be slower, but so you have these two examples, and later I think it will be awesome and very interesting to ask, for example, Algor, this question. What uh, what brought you to uh, move from a foundation to a DAO, right? So, and not to beat a dead horse, but um, you said that the Constitution, I think, could only be done on blockchain. Uh, why? Like, what? why couldn't this have been done um, on Kickstarter? For instance, like they fu- they raised uh, funds. Um, yeah, I mean, like why? <laughs> that's what I. That's my main point. It's like, like why? Like why couldn't it have been done in another way? They ended up. They would have had to convert everything to dollars anyway. I mean, if Kickstarter added chat rooms to every project and they accepted ETH, could they not, by your definition, be DAO starter? If they could have raised forty million dollars in four days, yeah, definitely. But would I been able to do it on Kickstarter? I think on Ethereum, you on Ethereum you have uh, the access to money is way easier, right? Um, so yeah, maybe they wouldn't have done it, but I think they wouldn't be able to raise that much money on Kickstarter, right? And again, uh, if you want to kind of sell yourself as a DAO. Uh, even as a berry, but DAO, you need to do it on Ether. So I think that was kind of a requirement. Hmm. To me, it's still DAO theater. Yeah, but, it is. I mean, it's... Theater. <laughs> I mean, Chris, I'm with you on this. It's, uh, I mean, even if it is DAO, it's a very bad DAO. I mean, you shouldn't put money on it. Uh, I mean, or, maybe you, or maybe you should. I mean, uh, you do with your money whatever you want, right? But I wouldn't call it a good investment because how do you enforce, right, your own... your what you're going to do on the constitution and what these people token uh, has value on it. But uh, again, yeah, very bad DAO. Maybe you, some would call it a scam or a fake DAO, which maybe is a good term. I wouldn't use that. I wish just use a bad and technical by implementing DAO, by DAO anyways. Okay. So like we've talked a little bit about 
um, some of the projects that DXDAO is immersed in. But one thing I want to understand about DXDAO is it sounds like it's a DAO that spawns other DAOs. Is that is that a safe way to like sort of paraphrase a little bit? Is that the goal? The goal is to be a DAO that spawns other DAOs around DeFi projects and stuff like that. Anybody? I would say in, in today it's more of a DAO that builds DeFi products, but uh, that is a direction that I think things are moving is that where each of the projects themselves would have their own governance and be part of the DXDAO ecosystem, but have their own sort of autonomy um, and so that's like a model that, uh, has like is being figured out. So this project swapper now has a token, uh, these guilds that, um, Augur is actually planning on using, there's a plan to launch, launch one for the swapper product. And yeah, I mean, there's basically a roadmap for governance around, around these things. I think the way it could work is, uh, DXDAO would hold some of the, the tokens for these projects and then you know, potentially grow and spin them off in a way, but they're not like completely spun off either. They're like still through that ownership of the the main DAO, like part of the ecosystem. And I would just add, we are very cautious to use the word DAO. So we we say swapper guild and like a governance structure, but we're not even comfortable yet with saying DAO for that. Oh, interesting. But it has more than two people, Augusto. Yeah, it's exactly. A DAO? exactly. No, about the school is a DAO, right? No, but about about the technical uh, the technical collaboration that that we want to enable. What I'm trying to pursue here, what, what I'm trying to push, is this open source collaboration. Where I, I want DXDAO to be the open source open source leader to collaborate with other DAOs. Right, right now, it's going to be the first one, Algor, where. We want them to fork us, right? We want them to fork our smart contract. We wanted to use our tech and to come up with new ideas and to follow this open source standard way of uh, this open source way of working. Where if they came up with a better idea to implement off-chain voting, we can implement the right. This open source collaboration, this open source contribution, we want to build over that. That is uh, that is what we are pushing. So we want them to again to fork to use our uh, to use our smart contracts. This is what we are going to be doing and what, what we are going to be pursuing because the most projects and the most uh, the most people you have, the fork, your tech, the uh, the better technical implementation you are going to have. And this is the very core, again, because the stronger technical implementation is going to allow you to do uh, way more things in a safer way. So this is what we are pursuing. And we call it guild. Yeah, yeah. this is like the, this mini, mini DAO, again, a guild, it can be considered as a DAO, right? But we are calling it guild just to for a for a better naming because we consider ourselves like a good DAO, like a, like like the very good DAO, DAO technical level. And these guilds, they can be called like these mini DAOs where they are going to use some liquid token for voting. When is a what's the the delineation between a guild and a DAO? I bet you guys debate this a lot, don't you? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You're going to get three different <laughs> answers. And I think we have it, like, in my mind, like, I think I think a, a guild is one that is only used on, like, token-based voting. And a DAO, like, really to have, and I think this is key on, like, the decentralization part of DAO, that the only way that you can really have 
uh, decentralization in an on-chain organization is with some form of reputation-based governance. So I would say a DAO is reputation and token-based governance, and a guild is just token-based governance. Okay. And when you say reputation-based governance... That's the non-transferable voting power that we have at DXDAO. So each of us have, you know, reputation in DXDAO. You can't buy it from us. We can't buy or sell. It's associated with a specific Ethereum address. Right. So you're not talking about their social reputation, their legal standing in the real world. You're talking about on-chain provable governance power, non-transferable. And by the way, a lot of people... I would say most people participating in DeFi still don't understand that you do not need a transferable token to have a viable governance community. Uh, the only reason governance tokens exist is profit and greed. <laughs> That's it. It's so that you have something to buy and sell. It's so that uh, found, and you guys can feel free to disagree with me if you want, but it's so that founders can have an exit strategy. It's so that venture capital firms can can um, get a return on their investment. Uh, those tokens don't have to be transferable. Governance power can be endowed upon individuals, Ethereum addresses, whatever you want to call it, um, in a way that basically the sky's the limit as far like the, any uh, governance community can build a set of rules make it non-transferable, make it transferable, uh, make it contingent upon a certain level of activity, um, make the make it a contingent on the community consensus, like let the community decide they can vote to take away their reputation. Like anything can be built, right? But um, the transferable token model is the most popular model because of the profit aspect and the, the speculation aspect of it. So uh, when you hear the term reputation bounced around in this regard, it's not about like, I trust, uh, you know, Joe with the $50 billion because he's, he's not going to ro- ruin his reputation in the, in the world by running off with $50 billion. What could he ever do with $50 billion? You know, he's got a 30 years left of life to build things for us. Like he's not going to ruin his reputation. That's not what we're talking about. It's a different thing. It's all provable and on chain. Um, so, um, yeah, I forget where I was going with that, but yeah, it sounds like, uh, DX DAO is sort of, um, the, the question I was asking before is like, is it limiting to, to think like, do you constantly feel the pressure to build things that are more centralized? Like, do you have to debate about how, far you're willing to go to achieve efficiency um, or what lines in the sand, like it sounds like already, like there's members of the DAO that are more inclined to maybe move things more, move the needle more towards a centralized um, the spectrum, you know, as opposed to people who might be on the other end where they want to try as hard as they can to keep things decentralized and as autonomous as possible. So like, John, do you see that a lot in the community? Like, is there this constant debate and who do you think is, is winning the debate? Well, I think the values are actually pretty strong within DXDAO to, to like always try to like do the best on decentralization, but we hit challenges all the time, right? Like, so Chris mentioned how like the ENS domains is how DXDAO owns its products, uh, 
like websites essentially, right? So every time there's a product update, the way it gets updated is through a proposal that gets passed through the, you know, the full governance system on chain and it updates the content hash on, on the ENS address, right? So in that way, the on-chain DAO can own a product website, but there's like, that's a great like example we love to point to, but there's so many things that you rely upon when operating in the like a web world that we really just don't have the ability to do that on, right? Like if, what about Twitter accounts or blogging accounts or email or basically all these like sweet, you know, any startup uses over a dozen web software services. And the way the web two world works is people have to sign up with those, own them with, you know, individual emails and accounts. <clears throat> and so we don't have the ability for an on-chain avatar, like we call it avatar, it's just the address that is like the XDAO on, on Ethereum. There's like no way in a lot of these cases for that DAO through governance to own um, like an account with Twitter or or whatever. Now we're seeing some progress on that. And this is something that the DXDAO community is trying to support. We have like a small venture arm that like basically the goal is to in, invest in projects that are addressing problems that DXDAO faces directly. So like, I think like um, decentralized blogging, we're starting to see some traction there, right? And uh, and I'm hoping that eventually, like, you know, earlier you said like in the world we are in today, like, I think that's a, a key thing, right? Like we're super early, like there's so much we need to do. And yeah, like I, I think in the future, there's going to either be a just a fully decentralized Twitter or at least a way for on-chain organizations to own accounts, even in like centralized Twitter, right? So, so basically, if you know the current admin of the Twitter account goes rogue, or, or some, God forbid, something happens to them, right, where they can't continue their duties, then the DAO through governance can address that, right? Put somebody else in, take the people out. Like that's how it should work, like across the board. And so early on, um, DXDAO like did, didn't even have a medium account, like because uh, there was like this culture of avoiding centralized services. We didn't want to like do these centralized things, but over time, like, yeah, there was pressure and a lot of people, you know, just out of practicality, were like, Hey, like we can't reach our audience if we don't have a medium article and like crypto. So eventually we kind of caved and like, there's just trusted members of the community that are running medium accounts. Right. And, and that's not great because, you know, like you're like, we're criticizing constitution now. There's a couple people that if they like decided they could like shut down our, um, DXDAO's medium, right? And and maybe that's recoverable, but it's far from ideal, right? So yeah, we see these as challenges across the board, like tons of them. I, I I love that you're thinking that way. And it's definitely like a purist kind of mentality, right? But you got to start somewhere. And that's a great place to start from. Um, but to me, the it really, with every DAO, it really boils down to who controls the money. Right. It's like that's the most important thing. So, yeah, it's important to have communications and marketing and stuff like that. But at the same time, who owns the money owns the power. And so with DXDAO, how is the treasury maintained? How is it managed? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great like I don't know if it's a metric, but aspect to look at for any organization. Right? And, and with DXDAO, the treasury is on chain. 
and the the products, the the ENS domain. So essentially, like the the brand, the like URL that you go to, that's also on chain, right? So I think the most valuable assets of DXDAO are on chain, controlled by the full governance system, right? It's not entrusted to some delegate or um, a few trusted parties, right? It's it's Tell the whole again, governance system. What are those assets? There's the domains, uh, the treasury, and what else? The domains of the treasury are are the. Is there anything else that's like a super valuable? Um, like those are the only like really valuable things I can can think of. I mean, like I said, I, I I think it would be great to be able to do more, like give more ownership. Oh, oh, I mean, this is actually a big one that um, the the products themselves. Like uh, I think when we can. We're striving for immutable contracts, thinking like, you know, think Uniswap V1 or whatever, like just not, if you know what it's going to be, just put it out there and it's not even upgradable. But there are uh, some smart contracts that are upgradable and that is controlled by the DAO avatar as well. So the DAO has to vote to upgrade the, the each of the individual upgradable contracts? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And... Um, so the DAO itself, um, anybody can join. Anybody can join the DAO. Is that right? So yeah, I mean the the chat platforms are completely open. You just like, click, go to the website, click on the link, you can get into the chat, say introduce yourself. Um, anybody can make a proposal to DXDAO on chain. Like you could go there today and make a proposal if you want to spend a few hundred dollars in gas on Ethereum. You could do it on our XDAI base. It's a little cheaper if you want to do something there. Um, to get actual voting power in the current system, uh, you need reputation. And the way reputation is earned or, or achieved like is by uh, passing a proposal on through governance to get the reputation. So it's essentially controlled by the current reputation holders, right? Who gets, and it can be burned as well, right? So in theory, people could also lose their reputation. I think a lot of people don't understand this aspect of DAOs is that, the there's no set way to build them, to run them, to manage them. Um, the entrance process can be different. Um, the exit process can be different. The, the rulemaking process can be different. So a lot of people are just familiar with DAOs as like fundraising mechanisms, like send money in and you're part of the DAO, go in the discord and chat with your buddies. Um, you're in the DAO, but that's not the only way to build a DAO. And what John's outlining here is a different way, you know, where it's still, um, I guess, hmm, I'm not sure if you can call that permissionless. Uh, I guess it's permissionless if anybody can create a proposal, you know, and then um, I guess it's it's a little bit of a, yeah, that's interesting. Because, I mean, if, if the community, if the DAO community looks at somebody and says, no, they're a Nazi or something like that, then um, they will be denied entrance, right? So it's not necessarily permissionless in that regard, I guess. But it does have a set of rules that are provable and on-chain and um, cannot, I mean, right? Am I going, like, I've always- Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it's important it. to, like, get into the details, right? Like, making yeah. a proposal is permissionless. Anybody can just do that without having to ask for permission. Having governance power in, uh, yeah, in DXDAO is not permissionless. You have to get- the permission of the DAO to have the governance power. So, you know, unlike, you know, maybe 
Ethereum or Bitcoin where you can you know, spin up a mining node without permission uh, and like be an active participant in like operating and controlling that network. It's not like that permissionless, right? We, you need permission from the DAO to actually have the, the governance power. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking because, you know, big uh, as the Constitution DAO thing has been going on, a lot of people have been um, asking me, um, you know, what is a DAO then? Like, if this is not a DAO, what is a DAO? You know, and when I see decentralized autonomous organization, I measure everything against Bitcoin. I just, that's my benchmark for the, the most decentralization we can achieve right now, you know, as far as um, pretty much anything, but definitely in crypto. And uh, the, the thing, and people always point to Bitcoin. They say, well, when Bitcoin launched, it wasn't decentralized. You know, Satoshi was the only miner. There was only one node, right? So uh, therefore our multi-sig project is the same thing like we're launching decentralized and we have a roadmap we have a path to decentralization and then what i finally figured out to push back with on that was that look satoshi didn't launch this um yeah obviously he had to start it like it, you can't have a thousand nodes in, in a one second you have to start somewhere right so you start with one and it grows the thing about bitcoin is it was um, permissionlessly decentralized. So when it launched, nobody had to give permission for others to join the network. So it yeah. was able to decentralize permissionlessly. So um, that was the metric I was using. I'm saying this because you're kind of making me think differently here because um, that was the metric I was using like for, for Constitution DAO. I would have considered it decentralized if it was per able to decentralize permissionlessly. So if it was able to slowly decentralize, you know, in a way that didn't require permission, to me, that's like decentralized and autonomous, as opposed to needing a multi-sig group to flip a switch and say, now we will let you decentralize this thing. To me, that's the barrier. But what, what we're talking about here is a different, not every DAO is created equal, right? So, And, and I think there's a bit of a trade-off there and and like you said earlier this there's so many ways to be a doubt and i don't we're not trying to be prescriptive right we're just trying to like advance decentralization and autonomous it's a huge design space so we got to like explore it right and so what i'm kind of thinking out loud here but i think there's actually like a bit of a trade-off here if if you have an erc20 token right when you if you if that's your governance token one of the nice things about that is that it's permissionless. Anybody can buy it, right? So it's accessible to the whole world just by like a couple of clicks of the button, right? Kind of like Bitcoin mining is, uh, you know, it's a little harder than clicking a button, but anybody can, in theory, like, you know, acquire the hardware and, and do it, right? Um, I think one of the downsides of, of that kind of system is something we think about a lot. Vitalik uh, recently wrote a, a blog post that's a great one about like um, token governance, right? Is that if it's if it's just an ERC-20 token, then is that really like the best way to have governance or even the best way to have decentralization? Because since it can be bought, like I think that lends itself to like centralization over time, right? Or like, you know, be vulnerable to becoming a plutocracy. You see this, like it's kind of an existential threat to, to Bitcoin as well, right? Or proof of work is like if you have bigger economies of scales with some miners, they're getting like 
aggregating more power over time, that's like an existential risk to the decentralization of, of even like the Bitcoin network, right? If somebody controls all the manufacturing, that could be uh, a problem. So like similarly with like token voting, people over time can acquire it and they maybe even can do it surreptitiously, right? Like they maybe it's not even maybe obvious that somebody has acquired all of this uh, power. And so I think there's a little bit of a trade-off here where like the DXDAO answer to that is this non-transferable thing. And yeah, uh, but it's less permissionless though. And Chris, yeah, and I think just, that's why the reputation is so important to the decentralization aspect, because it is a um, natural inflation for reputation is not a bad thing. It's not a zero sum game. You can bring in new entrants to governance without having to take away power or profit from someone else. So I, I think without that like reputation, non-transferable element, it's going to be near impossible for any organization to resist like the natural centralization that comes from like the profit motive. And this is where we led to governance 2.0. This is this is where this is what this is how do we call it? Governance 2.0 on DXL is where we are going, where we are going to integrate our token, DXZ token, that is being used in our governance as a staking token in holographic consensus. So this way you have to, uh, you, we have a token that brings an economic incentive, right, to for a proposal to execute successfully or unsuccessfully. So we have a staking token and we have a reputation token, a, a reputation token, right? So the staking token is an ERC-20. Again, uh, we have the reputation, but it is very hard to enter. It is very hard to enter right, right now, DXL. And this is something that we were talking uh, last year when we were discussing this this, uh, uh, this problem, right? We want more people, right? We need to be more decentralized. And this is where we are going. In the future, we are going to integrate our staking token into our, rep into our reputation formula, right? And this is something that... Uh, again, we are going to have, we are going to be able to uh, uh, to mitigate this plutocracy, governance, token attacks, right? Because we have a reputation token already there. But this is hard. This is very hard. We were, we, we, it took us two years to do it, right? So imagine just to a new project to do, to do it right away. It is very hard. It is very hard. But... Well, we are going to do it and we want other people to do it because we think that's a that's a way to do it and that's what we are going to pursue. This is what we are doing. This is what we are being the guilds. This is where Ogor, for example, is going to pursue this governance 2.0 idea uh, uh, and along, alongside us. So uh, hopefully more uh, other projects are going to join, right? And, are, and we are going to move uh, to move away from this plutocracy governance token to something more secure, to something that we are going to be able to take safer and more decentralized governance decisions, right? There is always going to be a better, a better way to do it, right? Uh, this is, we are in, uh, experimenting constantly. But based on all, all, all that we're talking about, uh, this is where we are going and Everything is going to be open source, and we want other projects to forecast, to collect, to contribute with us, to use our tech. So, this is what we are pursuing for us to be more decentralized and to share our technology. Okay. So, Chris, how many um, members 
with reputation of DX Dow are there? I think we're at like 460, 470. That's on mainnet. Um, and there'd be about the same amount of that on XDAI, even though some of those on XDAI are, are not on mainnet. So we, and we kind of operate so, two, we operate actually three different bases, one on mainnet, one on XDAI, and one on Arbitrum. All have the same reputation distribution or close to it because they can just like copy it from one chain to the other. Um, so yeah, but we're primarily on XDAI and mainnet. So all of those individuals um, started by making a proposal? So there were 300, and, so I would say addresses too, because like, you know, so my company is like a member of, of DXDAO. So a lot of these are like stakeholders, right? So we're just like a theory of address there. Um, so 399 of them were uh, issued reputation in that initial staking period uh, two and a half years ago. And then the others that have earned it since then have been those that have actually like contributed to DXDAO, like, you know, earning it. I, I've submitted, I get paid, you know, we all get paid on chain. Every month we submit our proposal. This is what we're going to work on. This is what we accomplish. Here's the stablecoin payment. Here's the reputation payment. Um, and so every worker, every contributor, every full-time uh, worker at DXDAO is entitled to uh, 0.1667% rep every month. And so that's the new issuance. And then we also have another kind of uh, heuristic or a social consensus that no single address should be able to earn more rep once they've passed 4%. So that kind of helps us keep the, the decentralization element by preventing like some addresses kind of uh, interacting into it. But most of the people that have earned rep over the last year, maybe the 20, 25 or 30 addresses have been contributors or contractors. Uh, while others have been members of the community, we have different other programs to like issue rep to community members. For instance, our like Discord uh, group has a, has a we, we give rep to those that are very, very active there. Um, yeah. Okay. And then DXD is the staking token? Yeah. And that's our liquid token, right? So this is what has you know, kind of a, the financial claim on that. And so right now, uh, what Goose is talking about in the in our like new system that we're building now, it is what is used for what's called holographic consensus, which is kind of like a quorum management tool. Um, so for holographic consensus, there's like a staking or a betting period where people can say, put money and say, I want this proposal to pass and be front of uh, Deke's out governance and people can stake it down and say like, no, I don't want it to. If there's enough stake on that proposal for 24 hours above a certain threshold, it goes into the boosted lane. And once it's in the boosted lane, it only needs, uh, in this case, actually uh, a simple majority to pass. Um, and it's, it is there for five days on XDAI and seven days on mainnet. So what Augusto is talking about with the staking token is we're going to introduce DXD to that betting staking period during holographic consensus for a proposal to get to the boosted phase. Okay. And all that's on chain? Yeah. All on chain. There's no mysterious snapshots going on or gasless stuff. Okay. So no, no, no. I think Vitalik may have his master node, but that's about it. Um, okay. So that's all, um, programmatic, right? So for instance, with, again, just to compare, because so many people are familiar with constitution down now, they distributed people tokens. They're called 
those tokens can be used. I think they're using snapshot. I'm not, I don't know what they're going to use, um, to provide advice to the centralized entity on how they use the funds on how the LLC does this or that. But with DXDAO, if you have DXD tokens, do the votes actually hold the DAO members, the reputation holders, do they hold them to specific outcomes or is it just kind of like advice, like ceremonial, um, to the people who actually have the power? So DXD does not have voting power. And this is actually the big impetus for the governance 2.0 plans. And it was actually sort of an, an evolution, right? So the DAO was kicked off with an initial set of reputation voting holders. And that's how the current governance system works. It like only supports voting with this um, reputation. It doesn't support voting within ERC-20. Uh, and then there was no capital in the DAO. So you know, capital is important. And like, that's where the, the DXD token came in. It was issued to raise capital, get things going. Um, big kind of complaint. And I think everybody was kind of aware of this from early on, right? That this was not the perfect system. It was sort of something that had evolved um, with what could be done. And uh, a lot of DXD holders, not very happy that they had no say in the governance, right? That they had to trust like the reputation holders to do the governance that, you know, a lot of people didn't like that. Uh, Chris here led a, a working group that like tried to involve all stakeholders from, you know, a bunch of DXD holders, some rep holders, because I'm sure some people are both. And then, you know, other people that were interested to try to come up with a solution. And so that's where we got to this governance 2.0 spec is what we've sort of got today and what Augusto and his team is working on is actually like getting us towards the implementation of this governance 2.0 system, which introduces uh, like DXD as a source of governance power. Basically it brings the systems together uh, so that it's one, um, there'll be like a voting power contract, which will calculate your voting power based on not just what non-transferable reputation that address has earned, but also the the DXD that that address has acquired and holds, right? So it's hoping to achieve a balance between the two. Another way I like to think of this is it's like trying to achieve a balance between capital and labor, because I think they, you know, both are playing really important roles and uh, yeah. 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 Talk more about it. Merging plutocracy and meritocracy, right? Where or the reputation that that, that has been issued from the exile, right? Is because uh, people earn it, right? Because uh, it, it's a it's a meritocratic, I think you call it like that, a process, right? Or, or or organization, right? So and then you have this plutocracy organization where you have the token. So ideally, the best way to start a project is you have a token, you you do the fundraising, okay? Uh, you start. And then uh, the next phase, where I think that uh, for a pro for a project or, or, or for the organization or company to grow is to add this reputation token and to or to represent uh, how much energy is being put by individuals and how much effort is being made right by by certain individuals in in a company or in a project or in an organization and then merge both of them. So this is where we are going and this is where we are still experimenting anyway. Uh, we had a long discussions about governance 2.0. I remember that uh, uh, last year well, we had hours and hours discussing this with DXD holders. Took a lot, took a lot of time. 
but I think we got uh, we got a good idea and we are going to implement it. Uh, let's see if it's going to succeed or not, but we are we are going to try it. And everything is open source, and we encourage and we want other people to uh, to use it and to, uh, to contribute with us. I I hope that um, anybody who's still listening uh, is able to take away, especially if you sort of were introduced to DAOs through Constitution DAO uh, or other more recent ones, like the ones that purchased, you know, um, what are the other big things they purchased? I guess uh, there was a rap song. The Wu-Tang Clan album. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they They got together and they listened to it. (laughs) That's a DAO. Right, right. So, you know, um, what I hope the takeaway is, is that uh, not just that DAOs can be built differently, but the amount of thought, the amount of planning um, that happens around these things matters so much with regard to um, the effectiveness and the uh, security and the um, actual level of of, um, um, principle, I guess, you know, that, that goes into it. And one, one takeaway I have from this conversation is definitely thinking more, uh, less of DAOs as binary, yes or no, and more of that spectrum, you know, where, like, like Augusto said, it can be, I mean, bad and good is probably not the best way to put it, but, you know, there's a spectrum where it's, you know, from centralized, perfectly centralized, which doesn't exist, to perfectly decentralized, which doesn't exist. You know, everything falls in that spectrum somewhere, but it's not just, what I've realized in this conversation is it's not just a um, 2D spectrum. It's really 3D or 4D because you start to think about, okay, how does it affect decentralization when these people with reputation have to agree to let people in? And they code these this set of rules that, you know, are very specific with regard to um, how it operates, who can come in, who can go out. Uh, does that make it less decentralized, less permissionless? I don't know. Like it's, it's. I guess the bottom line is these things can be built in any way. And the label, we need to think bigger than just those terms. We need to think bigger than just decentralized and autonomous because DAOs mean so much more than that. You know, it's... Uh, I like guild better, by the way. I wish we could just scrap get DAO entirely and just go for guild and have like guild level one through ten. Like, guild, <laughs> like it's like guild level one is like Constitution DAO. You know, maybe guild level between five and ten is DX DAO would be somewhere up there. Um, but um, that's my that's my big takeaway. I think is is that um, you have to look at this on like a four D chessboard almost, which makes it really challenging for somebody who's new to the space and just wants to mess around. Uh, but at the same time, it, it opens up a new world of opportunity, at least for myself, to start to think about, um, is there a way to better gauge this stuff for people or translate it for people, you know, or to put together materials that can help people better understand the differences? A DAO is not a DAO is not a DAO. It's, it's, like, it's like they're all completely different. Right, you can't. It's hard to measure them against each other in that regard. Um, so I hope that people listening come away with that, and it can definitely be overwhelming. But it's like the first time you heard about crypto. Almost, it's like 
you think everything's Bitcoin until you realize it's not. They're all a little bit different. Even the forks of Bitcoin are different, just a little bit, just enough, you know, to be different. Um, every fork of a DeFi protocol is just a little bit different. Even if they change just one bit of one line of code, it's a little bit different enough to to make a huge difference. Um, so DXDAO sounds really interesting. So are you guys, <clears throat> before we wrap up, the, this has been a great conversation. Before we wrap it up, are you inviting, you said you want more people. What does that mean? You just want more people in the Discord. You want more people to make proposals. You want more people to actually try to gain reputation. Like, what do you want for the DAO? All of the above, yeah. I think there's different ways you can get involved. If, if you just want to be in the Discord and, like, use the products, that's great. Uh, if you want to be a contributor, uh, DXDAO needs more contributors working with it at fortunate to have a pretty sizable treasury, uh, need more people to help uh, build the stuff that we're trying to do. So yeah, all of the above. We love it when people participate in governance, of course. And we need more people to value decentralization in, in DAOs and be like pushing forward that, you know, even if that's not with DXDAO, um, that's something I think we want more people to be doing. And, and maybe this puts it in a, a framing that could make it a little easier to understand. Like if you try to make an analogy between Constitution DAO and DXDAO, Governance 2.0 would be like taking like the multi-sig is sort of like the rep holders in a way. They're a little more centralized than DXDAO's rep holders. But uh, the the people who bought the, what was the people token, that's like the DXD holders in DXDAO. And Governance 2.0 is about uniting them together in one governance system where uh, there is say, uh, you know, equal power from, from both sides in, in the voting power. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, in a in a hopefully a, a gas efficient way, right? <laughs> well, that's a challenge, right? And like, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it's very easy to do that on Ethereum at that scale today. But hopefully, we'll we'll see improvements there as well. Okay, because there are ways to build that today, but you're talking about a different, like what I was saying before. Like, you could build a DAO where everybody has voting power based on their contribution, right? But you're talking about sort of making it more malleable, more customizable. Um, and I like what you're saying. Like, you know, you have the reputation holders here, you you know, who didn't spend money to get there. They got there through participation, um, through getting approved by existing reputation holders. Then you have the people who just want to participate on a different level. You know, they want to speculate. They want to stake. They want to have some influence over the organization. Um, but they don't want to, for whatever reason, be up there at the reputation level. Is yeah, that what I'm hearing? I think of it as different personas, right? Like uh, that we're trying to be able to um, have in the governance 2.0 system and support like to the extent that these different personas want to be involved, right? So one would be the speculator investor, right? They should be able to just buy some financial stake and passively have that financial stake. In Governance 2.0, you would do that by buying DXD, right? Uh, you should be able to be a contributor or somebody who, who works. You don't have to be wealthy, right? You just have some skills. You want to get a job done. You want to focus on that. In Governance 2.0, that's somebody who works for DXDAO and is earning reputation. Um, and then I think the third and, and very important persona is like somebody who actually cares about governance, right? A big problem with a lot of these ERC-20 projects is apathy, right? So in governance 2.0, to be a governor, you actually have to 
have done something of value to earn reputation and hold DXD. And then your governance power will be calculated based on uh, how much of each of those you've done and, and like kind of weighted together. So the governors will be people who have both put some financial skin in the game. And, you know, that could be somebody with capital coming in and buying a bunch and then doing a little bit of, of contributions to earn enough reputation to have a meaningful say, or it could be somebody who started, you know, their career at DXDAO as like a young person without much capital and, and earns that DXD over time uh, along with their reputation. So like, yeah, I think we're trying to build something that creates like a good, good balance and creates accessibility and ultimately like decentralization and, and autonomy. So that's what we're trying to do. Huge design space. I think we need more projects like trying different things and, and love to see different experiments. Um, so yeah, Constitution DAO is super cool. I hope they do some more cool stuff, but pay more attention to the, the DAO part for sure. Right. So um, Augusto, what would you tell somebody who wants to start a DAO? Like where should they start? Should they start with the Constitution DAO just get it out there as fast as you can. Should they sit there for months and try to plan it perfectly decentralized? Like you have an idea, you want to do it. You have a, maybe you have a small chat room with, you know, 30 people. Like what's the, what are the steps you should take initially? No, put, uh, put the, put some energy on the technical side, uh, even like trying to get, a technical contributor or some or someone who is going to take care of or, or, or try to do some research and find a good enough implementation, right? A good, a, a good enough way to distribute the token and how it's going to be used. Put the proper planning, the proper the proper planning on the technical side, because that's super important. If you don't think on how if you are going to execute, I know votes on chain, or if you are going to sign it, and someone else is going to execute it, who is going to pay for the gas later? Those are those are issues that if you don't uh, if you don't think of it right away at, at the beginning, they are going to they are going to cut you up. Like when you implemented your token, and when you have okay, awesome constitution that constitution that is is, is working. We bought the constitution. Okay, now what do we do with it? I don't know. Is it going to cost a hundred dollars to vote on a proposal to do something? Uh, so is everyone going to vote on it then? So start putting more thoughts about on that, on the technical implementations around that, and um, yeah, many, many that put the put the right amount of energy on on the technical side. It sounds like you're saying the technical, but also how that aligns with the principles of what you're trying to build and how you can use how you can take full advantage of the tech that's there, right? I think that's the really core, the key thing is like, don't take shortcuts. Like if the technology's there, find ways to use it. You know, you can do this in a way that doesn't have to be so centralized, you know, and there's value to that. You know, and the problem that I have with the mainstream reporting of Constitution now is they rewarded them for stuff they didn't do. You know, they they called this decentralized and autonomous and, you know, they, they didn't call attention to this, the points of centralization that made it more centralized than a Kickstarter in some regards, you know, and uh, they were rewarded. And that's why I'm out there pushing back constantly because it's, I just feel like somebody has to do it. Um, and I think so, I, I really appreciate that because as, as a project that's working hard on like, you know, trying to make things more decentralized, it is a little frustrating 
when you know media and Twitter and stuff picks up and you know people get all of this clout and following for like you know calling something a DAO that is nothing more than like a club in a Discord or something you know and so I, I really appreciate that you're pushing back and taking a, a closer look at this stuff. Yeah, I mean I know I sound like a jerk, but it's that's the only way people will listen. So that's my little secret. Also, also <laughs> it gives a lot of validation to what we are doing. So the DAOs, uh, I mean, the, the, this is a, so this work, right? People is interested. Uh, so it gives a validation, it gives some kinds of validation to our side of work. But I, I always say to the, uh, to the, to the DXAO, uh, to my, to my colleagues, talk is cheap. Show me the code. And when I went to the Constitution DAO website, there wasn't any GitHub. Any GitHub account, any, I went to jump right on it on the smart contract. There were no GitHub accounts. So, talk shit. Show code, show code, trust code, trust only code. So, that's the way that it should, it should work. We should trust only code, no, no people. Well, that, that is always so. If you see that a project is no sharing code, okay, that's a red flag. I mean, I feel for them because non technical people should be able to build this stuff. You know, and I think we'll come to a day where the tools will be there where you can click and launch the perfect DAO. Um, but they were moving fast. They're like, Juicebox looks, looks interesting, fast. We can pump it out there uh, without thinking through all the, the all the details. So I, I understand, as a non-technical person, I understand where they were coming from. But at the same time, um, I feel like we have to call those things out because if it keeps happening that way, it'll just hurt the space more and more so um but um this has been a great chat and i know it's a great chat because i know if i'm thinking differently about the topic after than i was before then i know it was a really good chat so um so chris uh where can people go to learn more about dxdao and to to get involved and should they be terrified of jumping into your discord yeah well dxdao.eth is our website just got a fresh coat of paint this week. Looks really, really great. So check it out. Um, our disc have links to our discord there, um, which is a great place. Um, so that's that. And then also of course on Twitter, um, at DXDAO underscore. All right, cool. Do you think we covered everything? You have any final uh, thoughts, Chris, on the takeaways? No, I think that's about it. It's a, you know, yeah. DAOs are, are kind of, rising in conversations and yeah it's good to talk about all the different things and pushing the boundaries cool augusto thanks for joining any final thoughts no gracias chris this is this has been an amazing discussion and conversation so thanks for inviting me yeah i think we should do more of this because really you know the more this conversation occurs the more i realize DeFi is really just a conversation about DAOs, you know and it's about different levels of of DAOs, you know, um, across the board, you know, whether it's uh, um, a single admin key, uh, which is basically, according to Augusto, the only thing that's not a DAO, which I would take still debate, but, um, you know, and all the way up to <laughs> technically speaking, and you are the technical guy. So, um, but all the way up to a completely, you know, to a DX DAO level thing, you know, um, you know, so oh, yes. it's really interesting. Yes. So, um, but no, it's been great, John. Any final thoughts before we wrap it? 
Well, thanks for having us. Like, keep asking the, the hard questions, and I'm looking forward to more discussion. And very excited about all of this in DAOs in general and, and where things are going. So I'm sure we'll we'll come across each other again. And yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's dxdao.eth. I'll jump in there uh, later on, see what's going on. Make sure everybody's listening to this because I think it was a great chat. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. I think um, there's going to be a lot more talk about DAOs in the next few months to a year. And I think it's important that we stay unafraid to ask these questions and to, you know, I guess the most important thing about DAOs right now and DeFi at large, but definitely about DAOs is never assume you know everything. And when you hear about a new DAO, do not assume anything about it. Look at it, look at the technicals, look at the, what's going on behind it, the social aspects, the, the governance. Um, no two DAOs are the same. Every DAO is a snowflake and uh, is unique <laughs> in that regard. So, uh, But thanks everyone for joining and thanks everyone for listening. And uh, we look forward to your feedback uh, on Twitter and elsewhere. So thanks again. Take care.